Welcome to On Demand, where startup B2B SaaS companies come to grow. When it comes to demand generation, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. That's why we created this podcast, to help founders and marketers like you unlock a combination that's right for your business. Let's get into it. Blake Strozik, welcome back to On Demand. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Good. I'm doing well. Really excited to uh, be on for another episode. It's great to have you back. Really excited for this conversation. So we're going to do something a bit different today. We're going to work on a fictional AI SaaS startup. We're going to go through a few ideas as to how we might help this early stage company. Excited to share the details of uh, of a brand new AI startup, because as you know, there aren't many AI startups at the moment. So we could be onto something here. Like We <laughs> really, really could. This, this could be the next big thing. Let me introduce you to Sales Oracle. AI website doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a really exciting company, Blake. It's been around for about six months. They've developed an AI platform. It's a sales enablement platform based around AI. It's analyzing sales calls and emails. But Blake, and I take this from their website, it's not just an analytics tool. It acts like a virtual coach for sales reps and giving them real-time feedback and advice. So sounds like a promising startup. There's two plans. You've got a starter plan at 50 bucks a month for up to 250 sales calls or emails. There's a higher tier plan at 80 bucks a month, which offers uh, more, more capacity. So, so far, they're at about 250K in ARR. Their churn rate's very low. A lot of the sales have come from founder-led sales to start with, networking, et cetera. They want to be focused on developing inbounds, and they have a fairly short sales cycle. But the big goal, Blake, the, the one that we need to try and solve is that in the next six months, they want to double their revenue. So it's ambitious but not completely outrageous. So what's your first take? And let's start to get into how we might we might help Sales Oracle. And I'll share the logo as well. We should get the logo on screen because I do have a logo for this. Matt, I'm pretty sure this is just a stealth startup that you have and uh, we're, we're, we're workshopping it, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make sure that I have this down right. So right now, 250K ARR, they've got two different plans, 50 bucks a month, 80 bucks a month. Yep. The category they think they're playing in, or like they say they're playing in right now, sales enablement analytics. And then right now they've got churn low, founder-led sales, and short sales cycle. Is that all? Did I repeat that back correctly? That's exactly it. Yep. Okay. Initial thoughts. So you have a little bit of experience in this space, so I'm really excited to hear what you're thinking here in the sales space. But my initial thoughts is from that, I would ask a couple of questions. So the very first thing I would ask would be like, okay... What does the profile of your existing customers look like? Because when people say sales, they think that's like a niche. While it is to an extent, there are so many nuances within sales. There's field sales versus inside sales. There's enterprise sales versus high-velocity SMB sales. There's the whole outbound aspect versus inbound. So I think like that's where I would start. What does the profile of the sales teams that you're working with look like? Because I could make some assumptions around it's in- inside sales... And then like in terms of like the company profiles, if it's like a network, it's probably a lot of startups, whether they're in an accelerator or there's other portco companies with their investors. That's where I imagine they're getting a lot of their initial sales. But that's where it goes off the top of my head. How do we drill down and like go beyond, okay, we're just selling to sales? Yeah, perfect. So let me let me break down the ICP a little bit for you because we, we talked about that on episode one. So the ICP is typically going to be a VP of sales at a, at a SaaS company that's doing some outbound at the moment, but primarily inbound. So VP of sales, managing a team, small team, probably under 50 heads in total at the company, I would imagine, 
we can make some assumptions, but that's the type of approach I think this company would, they'd be selling to companies probably a bit like them. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So curious to see where you would go with this first, Matt. So like my initial, like how I would think about it is we can add, drill down a little bit into that like ICP exercise and be like, okay, how do we map out the market and understand how many accounts are fit like that? But I think honestly, where I'd start in a situation like this is just do some like back of the napkin math. And I'd be like, okay, if our goal is in six months to double based off 250K, go to 500K, what does that actually look like? And I would basically say, okay, let's build a rough model of what that would look like. And then let's fill that in with our current flow of what if it was just sourced from outbound because we don't have a huge inbound motion. So that's where my mind would start. We could drill down an ICP, but where would you think to go from there, Matt? So for the purposes of this exercise, I kind of want to focus on the inbound and starting to really grow the inbound because that's that's what they've said that they want to do. And I think it's it's of the moment. It's very much of the moment. So I think let's let's stick with inbound. Let's say if we were trying to generate the sorts of numbers of deals that they would need, what do we need? So I have done some back of a napkin maths here. So I do have some, which is also the reason why I suggested we stick with inbound because that's the data I've got. Let's work this back. So in order for them to hit their revenue goals, they're probably going to need around about 87 deals per month. They're going to need to close around 87 deals with the typical order value. So in order to get 87 deals, they're going to need around 350 demos each month. Okay. So in order to get 350 demos, they're probably going to need probably about 500 demo requests. If we assume 70%, they actually get 70% become demos. So that's the kind of numbers we're looking at, probably about 500 demo requests per month in order to hit that revenue goal. So 500 demo requests, and we would actually have 350 meetings sat based off that, and then we'd close to 87 deals per month. Okay, yeah, no, that all makes sense to me. And those numbers are, I think, rooted in reality. So those are pretty good. Excellent. So where where should we go? Where should we go from here, do do you think? Where I would start, and like where we, I think we'd probably focus our exercises like, okay, so we kind of know the back of the napkin math, what we would need to make this work from the inbound. So if we're looking at 500 demos, that's going to be a pretty large market that we need to go after. So I think where it would start is like, let's map out our market, even if it's just with some loose data and some data providers, whether that's 50,000 accounts, 25,000 accounts, 10,000 accounts, we have to understand where the market is and kind of put those parameters in place. So I think that's where I would start. And so kind of going back to that ICP exercise we've talked about in the previous episode, it's understanding like, okay, of our current persona, like or our current accounts, what industries do they fall in? Like we know we're selling to a VP of sales of an inside sales team, but like what are those industries and those company sizes that we're selling to? And then in what geos? Like are we based in EMEA? Are we, you know, gonna be North America focused? Both. I think like that's where I would kick it off. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, definitely. For me, it's product and market. So do we know the ICP? Do we know what makes them tick? Do we know what the size of the market's likely to be? Do we have an idea of where we want to go? Very much aligned with what you'd said. So for me, we're going to struggle with this exercise to, to really do that market sizing on, like, on the fly. So let's let's work on the basis of the ICP. So typically, VP of sales, we want to understand their motivations. We want to understand their pain points. We want to understand what they're trying to achieve. So Where I would go with this, partly because of my own background, is that we're talking about somebody who is probably managing a couple of reps. They are probably carrying a little bit of a quota themselves as well, maybe promoted into the role due to their own previous performance, probably struggling with a little bit of time, struggling with a little bit of expertise. Do Do they really know how to coach? Are they very good themselves, but can they translate? that to their team. So really trying to get under the skin of what it is that that makes this person tick. Clearly, they're going to have revenue goals. 
they're going to probably like the tech first approach. They'll like the idea that they're using a product to generate these sorts of insights. I think from an ICP standpoint, that's probably, I'm making some assumptions they are based on some previous experience, but those are sort of where I would go. And then from there, that starts to lead me down the direction of branding. What does the branding look like? What are some of the messaging? So yeah, what do you think there? What you just outlined there makes a ton of sense. And just to build on that or dig a layer deeper from there, like once you understand like the use case, the buyer, it is about understanding one message is going to resonate because you already have 250k ARR. So you already have a pretty sizable based off those deal sizes, you already have a pretty sizable customer base. So obviously, there's going to be something in there that's really resonating and saying like, hey, whether it's kind of the whole call intelligence space, the whole clone your closer mindset, or whether it's all of that, there's going to be some core messaging in there that's going to really resonate. And I think it's also very timely that you have the, the AI focus in there. Everybody's trying to understand how can they work AI into their workflows to make their team more productive. So I do think it's just having a lot of qualitative conversations with some customers and saying like, why did you buy backwards engineering that? And like, how would you describe this to another VP of sales is like something I would get. On top of that, I would also do this at the rep level. So like understanding like how are the reps using it? And then how can you one, get that messaging, those messaging insights from your VP of sales and end user reps? And then two, how can you have them record content or write about it where they can like literally talk about their experience? Because I think one of those things is that a lot of sales reps, they want to have it validated. And you could probably speak to this because you sold to this ICP, but they want to like know like this isn't going to be another pain in the butt thing for me to use. Like I'm going to like update my CRM, which is a pain. Something like that where it's like I could actually use it because for something like this to work, adoption is critical. Yeah. The thing I pick up there is is going downstream as well. It's not just necessarily assuming that the buyer is the only person making the decision and also the people you want to market to. If the rep is going to be the end user, then actually coming at it from a two-pronged approach where you're you're working with the VP, you're trying to build the brand, demonstrate a little bit of empathy around some of the pain points, but also have it, have it almost be sold from the ground up as well. Have reps aware of the product, have reps aware of what the problems it solves, and almost allow them to make the case inside of the organization that this is a product that could be beneficial for them. Yeah, and I don't want to jump ahead because I know we're like really working on the foundation piece here. But something else to consider too is if you've been outbound and sales led to this point, and I know like we're on a pretty strict time horizon, so there's not a lot of product changes we can make. But I would really also think about like how can we get this in the hands of some reps and where they can like actually see how this works? Because it's not to say like you disrupt your entire business model, but it's a pretty aggressive growth timeline to go from 250 to 500 and having no inbound motion. So if you were in this scenario, though, because it's not that far off from reality, I would say like, okay, is there anything that we can do working with the product team being very agile and like a week or two turnaround, where we can like give reps a chance to just like upload a call for free, and it would give them their insights. Because I think if you can like show it that for that bottoms up approach, you could kind of have that bottoms up sales motion. Like I think that's something to consider with the inbound motion. It's like, yes, we need to drive demos. But like, a lot of these AI tools are very product-led. You go on a chat GPT, you can input what you want. You want to try Jasper, get a seven-day free trial. That's really how I would think about it here, especially just to hit that velocity you need to hit at this price point. Yeah, there's loads of different ways we could go with this. But, what, but one of the things as I was sort of preparing the case study was thinking about, would this sort of company be interested in moving towards more of a PLG approach? The internal sort of back and forth in my mind was that actually for them, the product needs to have collateral it needs to have material it needs to have sales calls emails and that 
my my sense that they would probably aspire to be PLG, but in reality, they probably need some handholding in the onboarding. So they want to get some sales calls ingested. They want to get some sales collateral ingested. But to your point, though, I think if the company already has, what would it be, a couple of hundred users already, then user interviews is going to be key. But user interviews with, with both those VPs and those reps as well, maybe listening in, observing some of their usage of the product as well would be key. Let's think about the brand then. So you specialize in performance marketing, right? So that's that's your sweet spot. How do you see brand and performance marketing? And I suppose maybe can we apply this a little bit to Sales Oracle? How do you think about performance marketing as it pertains to brand and, and what can we do for these guys? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely very uh, focused on like the demand gen aspect. But one thing I've had a couple of conversations with either a couple like demand gen marketers, performance marketers, whatever the label you want there. And really like one thing that's come to the forefront, and this is brand, but also like product marketing. So depending on how you org marketing, you know, it would look a couple different ways. But like you have to have, I think, to have demand really work, you have to have number one, understand the messaging. So this is more product marketing, but understand the messaging, understand like who you're selling to. Then on the brand side, you have to establish like what's our point of view and like what do we stand for? What's our opinion on the market? Because everybody's saying that they're AI enabled. Everybody is, you know, there's there's so many people saying that they are focused on helping sales drive more revenue. So like your brand has to stand for just more than that. Like, yes, you need to align to those goals. But uh, Josh Braun is great at like the sales messaging aspect. I think it applies here to marketing. We have to have crispy language. That's for on the brand side. Like, yes, you need the visual element of you need to stand out. Don't just be startup blue. But at the same time, like your brand like has to stand for something. You have to choose an angle. I'll just kind of cap this off before I turn it back over to you. I think Lavender is doing a really good job of this right now. Like Todd Klauser and the team over there, they are in the sales space, cold email, but they're like making their brand stand for something. And when you think of Lavender, you think of cold email. That's what I would do in this space is like, that's the question I would ask our team and the founders. How do we make it so that when people are thinking about AI call recording and like self-coaching, how do they think of our brand? How do they think of salesoracle.ai? So for me, when it comes to brand, especially in relation to ads as well, I'm always trying to find emotional hooks when it comes to developing a brand. For me, I'm a huge fan of the work of Les Binet and Peter Field, who really started or over the years have revolutionized the way marketers think about the impact of brand on demand. And I think for me, working with a company like this, I want to really get under the hood of what are the emotional hooks that the ICP is going to, are going to really resonate with the ICP. What is it that, you know, obviously I've worked in this space, so I think I have some insight here, but what is it that's keeping that VP up at night? What is it that's really causing them stress? And how can the product really solve that in a way that un- understands it? And when you're communicating the value and you're communicating the brand, it's really being aware of those, yeah, those emotional hooks, not being so product focused. I sometimes, you know, a lot of the time you see this in the hero sections of websites all the time. It's like, we help X do Y, that, that formula that's been around for so long. But in reality, the first thing I think that is beneficial when you're trying to develop the brand is just tapping into that emotion, tapping into that sense of, we understand, we get you. And we have a product that helps you solve those challenges. That's really interesting. So when you say like the emotional aspect of it, because I do think you're right, Matt, and that like we so often go to the product because it's like easy to validate because like, you know, your features and you know why we built this, but like understanding your ideal persona is different. 
So when you think about an emotional hook, and I, I, this is, I know it's like tough to like come up with one on the spot, but like in your mind, what would look like a difference between, hey, a product focused message, which you kind of outlined versus like an emotional hook for a sales leader? Maybe we wouldn't necessarily be able to develop one on the fly, but I'll give you, give you an example. So I would mind read that a VP of sales, what some of the things that are keeping them up at night, some of the things that are really stressing them out is no, they want to coach the team. They know the team crave the coaching. They really want the coaching. They want to be better. They've hired good people. But does that VP of sales feel like they have the capability to do it? And do they feel a sense of guilt that they can't deliver what their team actually want? They want to be, let's say they're in their mid-40s, they want to support their younger members of staff. They want to support their team to become better at who they are. They probably have a growth mindset themselves. They've hired people who have a growth mindset. But do they really feel like they've got the capability to do that? So if those assumptions are correct, if that is a, that, that they want to do it, but they feel de-skilled or underskilled to be able to deliver that, how can we speak to that? with the product? How can we communicate that we get where you're coming from, that we know that you necessarily don't feel fully capable in this area without them feeling that we're saying that they don't have the capability in that area? And so if we can bridge that gap between what they want to do and the things that are holding them back and stopping them from doing it, then I think we've got the the, the starting point there of an emotional hook. Nothing about product per se, but very much about, so just coming up off the top of my head, how do we help you as a VP bring out the very best in the team that you've got? How do we nurture them? How do we, you know, how do we nurture their capability in this area? So that that's kind of where I would start. And then when it comes to getting that message out there is using things like performance marketing, using things like paid ads to sow those seeds, to start to develop a narrative in the messaging that goes out. I love that. So, and again, I know we could spend a lot of time on this, but just to kind of, I think, emphasize this because I think this will be helpful for people. So Matt, might that look like coming up with something on the fly here, the messaging might be like, hey, VP of sales, are you still in that player coach role where you're having to close deals and you feel like you don't have enough time to coach all of your reps? We allow you to still play that player role, but also coach your reps because you can do it 50% faster or something like that. Like That's kind of the emotional language you're looking at, not just call recording where you get a transcript and you get your details. Yes. I suppose the application is going to be is going to be difficult there, but it is it's that element of really demonstrating that you understand that they care about their team. I'll give you some other examples. So working in BizDevRoll, some people have a little bit of almost embarrassment that they work in that field. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a story actually that bring, really brings this to life. I was at a wedding once and we were doing the usual thing where you get to meet everybody around the table. Hi, how, how are you? What do you do? One of the guys we got to was said, oh, I work in sales, but he said it, he was really embarrassed. So maybe there's something there as well. How do you as a VP take pride in what you do how do you instill that pride in the team that you work with and see this as a profession that has its own set of skills, its own set of capabilities? Coming up with the actual application, that would be difficult. But I would start, those are the sorts of things that people really feel about what they do and not just, I want my team to be better. It's going one or two layers beyond that and really exploring what is it that's really causing them friction, internal friction, and how can we present that? I'm struggling to come up with applications on the fly, but I think that's the process I would go through is not just accepting kind of surface level, superficial, this is why I do what I do. It's actually really understanding the the reasons behind that and effectively asking the question, why is that? Why is that? Why is that time after time after time? A hundred percent. No, I, I love that reframe there, Matt. Cool. Let's move on. Let's think about an inbound marketing strategy more broadly. I know there's there's lots of variables that we haven't got, but let's let's try and work some of this through. 
What's your initial sense of, of where their energy should go when it comes to inbound, at least initially? So a couple of key areas. So number one, let's assume, right, we understand our persona, understand our market, we have those mapped. And then so it's like, okay, we have our goals. So we have those mapped. We know what that math looks like. So we know, okay, what we need to do, who we need to do it for and who we're targeting. So then it's a matter of like understanding where are they online, like for digital and for inbound? Where are they? And then how do we get in front of them? So like where I would think of first is like, okay, what channels do we need to get after? So LinkedIn's the clear one here. That's where sales lives and breathes. So I think it'd be channel. And then outside of channel, then it's a matter of like, okay, what are the programs that we need to run in that channel to stand up? So that might be a paid program we stand up. That might be an organic program with content that we stand up. And then it's also a matter of like looking at our market and saying like, how do we get in front of them with our organic program? And then how do we get in front of them with our paid program? So that's where I would start at a high level. Where would you start, Matt? I would start in exactly the same place, exactly the same place. And having that deeper emotional understanding of the ICP that we sort of talked about in the brand leads nicely into how you're going to execute on those channels. Because without that, you are just one of a number of other products out there. I remember the quote from from the first episode, you said every, every SaaS product is either going to save you time or make you money. And it's like, you're going to be another one of them. But if you can really demonstrate that you understand the more, more of the emotional drivers behind people's decision-making processes, I think you're going to do well. But yes, I would do exactly the same. Let's Let's work on the basis that LinkedIn is going to be the main driver here. What are your thoughts in terms of LinkedIn, organic versus paid? Because for me, it's almost like a misnomer. It's like, Yes, you can do organic content, but the reality is that especially if you're putting it out as a company, it is a pay-to-play model here. This isn't, you know, there is, it's not one or the other. They are effectively a blended mix of the two. Let's assume LinkedIn is where we're going to go. What kind of steps would you take along the journey towards more of an inbound approach on, on LinkedIn for this, for Sales Oracle in particular? So kind of how I've been looking at it recently and how I look at it for Sales Oracle is basically your inbound and all, just all of marketing, right? It's a portfolio approach where it's like, okay, I've got different bets I'm placing and they have different return time horizons, right? Where it's like some things are going to be more short term, some things are going to be more long term. You balance your paid and organic accordingly. So I think how I would think about it from an organic standpoint, like you said, it's very pay to play to get the content distributed. But what I would think about is like, okay, how do I get a couple people on my team? So how do I get like the founder? How do I get maybe one of our ICs? Because our sales team is selling to their ICP. So how do we get them involved? But like, how do we one, get them a list of all the people that we could sell to that we're going to go after with paid ads? And two, how do we make sure they're connecting with them? Because at the end of the day, like how LinkedIn works is an organic standpoint, which you and I both know, I mean, you guys executed this great at Refract. But like, you need to connect with those people that are your target buyers so that they're seeing the content you're putting out because you could put out great content, but it will no one will see it. So you have to make sure you're actively connecting with them. That's the organic side I would think about. And uh, we can dig deeper in there. On the paid side, though, I would think about, okay, here's the accounts I'm going after. I know these are all good fit because we mapped our market. Here's my personas I'm going after. So I know I'm going after VPs of sales and sales managers and directors. And then it's a matter of like a mix of different tactics within your paid program. So it'd be some tactics that are just oriented towards how do we book meetings? So how do we say like, hey, here's the core value prop. Here's some case studies. Or, you know, you might try some really short-term tactics. Here are some incentives. Whatever it is to start getting lead flow in the door, which won't be your like long-term play. Like you obviously want to like create demand and build demand, but you have to like balance all of that, like the short and long-term. 
So I would do those short term tactics to like start getting things to flow in the door. And then like I would do like more like medium to long term tactics where it's more about that emotional messaging. How do we put that in front of these different target personas? How do we put it in front of them in ways that are compelling? So like, how do we stand out? That's what I would kind of think about. So to recap it here, turn it back over to you, Matt. It's like organic, you know, get in front of your target accounts, connect with them with content that resonates from people, not company pages. And the second thing would be on the paid side, have your short-term plays, which are more like, you know, lead gen meeting focused. Then you have your like mid to long-term plays, which are more of that messaging focus. And that's not to say in your short term, you don't have that messaging worked in, but there's just different expectations and nuances between that. So the way I would start this is very similar to you. I'm going to park organic because I think organic is an entire episode on its own. I think about paid like this. If I'm, I definitely agree with you. Identify your target accounts to begin with, for sure. It's harder when you're dealing, and Sales Oracle might find this, when that pool is so big. That could be a real challenge. But if we think about LinkedIn as a platform per se, uploading lists of, of target companies is easily doable inside of LinkedIn. So let's say we have a list of, say, I don't know, a couple of thousand accounts we're going to target them. The existing reps that we have know that we're going after those accounts. I totally agree with you there, 100%. Then I would start probably with a new audience. I would probably start with a campaign where you're focusing a little bit more on intrigue. So these people are probably not brand aware already. So I would start with a campaign where you're just sowing some seeds, starting to build a little bit of brand awareness, a bit of brand recognition, looking maybe at a campaign where you're maybe being a bit playful or you're doing something that stands out in the newsfeed. So not necessarily product focused at all. It's going to be something quirky. It's going to be something different, something that, that is acts as a pattern interrupt. Once you've got that layer in, then I would probably move on to more of what you said about the more like lead generation type activities. So as you know, I love sharing tips on here. LinkedIn lead gen ads for me, are the game changer that are massively underutilized on LinkedIn. By that, I mean a combination of lead gen ads with document ads. So those two in combination, so you have a document ad with a lead gen form, those are game changing. And most people do not know how powerful these powerful these can be. Yeah, you've got your initial kind of capture some attention, then you've got more of a lead gen play. I'd then be looking at layers that include things like retargeting, so website retargeting, you're putting some video content up as well, video content where you're creating audiences of people who are watching that content and slowly starting to get some momentum towards an end result where you are effectively sharing an exceptionally high value asset. Now, we could go down the discussion of gated versus un- ungated. I'm going to say gated for now, but driving them towards that, but something that has such a high perceived value that they feel absolutely compelled to download that material. And that that's probably not the first touch point they've had with the business. That would be like my startup at 10 on that. I love that approach. And I think on the point of gated versus ungated, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. But I think one thing that's important for people to understand is like, I've been on both sides of the spectrum. I've been working with clients where it's like, we're heavily gated. I work with clients where like, we don't gate anything. And the one thing I guess I would say is like, you do need to balance your approach with a paid strategy, especially at first, because it's this phenomenon that happens, which I'm sure you've seen, Matt, where like, when you start a paid program, it gets scrutiny like nothing else in your go-to-market motion. Like it gets the most scrutiny. Like you could hire 10 SDRs and they could set three (laughs) meetings to combine. Nobody would blink an eye. But the minute a paid strategy doesn't (laughs) deliver leads, it's cut off (laughs) immediately. You have to balance your approach to that point, like, I, I love your approach of how you're like, well, it's, it's a mix, right? Like, we're going to start here, 
with a pattern interrupt. And then we're going to bring in this gated content piece. That's what we're going to pass over to our sales team as like some initial hand raisers. I think the question I would have here, Matt, maybe it's worth us going through just at a very high level. What is that value add piece of content? Because I think a lot of times people think they're creating value add content or like something that's like really intriguing when it's very surface level. So like, how do you differentiate between that where it's like, this is actually a really good offer to offer people? You're going to get me on my soapbox. If you're, if you're trying to work, get me worked <laughs> up, you're going to get me worked up. This is probably one of the areas where I feel most passionate about this. The reason why I think there is even a debate about gated versus ungated is a byproduct of how poorly gated has been done in the past. It's not as though the gated content of the past was the best content you could ever imagine. It was shitty. It was low value. It was generic. And what do you know? It doesn't work. And so then the the tides turn and we go to an ungated motion where it's a lot more free and everything's available. And and I think that misses, misses the fundamental here, which is the value of the content. Not all content is created equally and not all content is high value in the minds of the user. So the reason why I started off with, with my little rant about brand and emotion is that if you miss that step, everything that you produce is going to be reflective of you missing that step. If you understand that step and you really understand the emotional triggers that matter to your target audience, then everything that flows from that should be of an extremely high value. And then your absolute pinnacle piece is going to be that piece of gated content that is so valuable. And it's as if you were sat there saying, you know, what's, what's the asset that's going to help you today and exactly where you are? When that's shown to the user on LinkedIn, they feel absolutely compelled and they have no objection to leaving their contact information or filling in a lead gen form because they want it so much. So for me, it all comes down to a genuine sense of empathy with your target audience. And if you do not have it, you will only ever push crappy generic content that is low value and underperforms. And it's why people think LinkedIn's so expensive. I put a post out the other day you know, I'm generating for clients right now cost per leads, high quality cost per leads in the four, five, six dollar range. These are good quality leads, but the value of the content is so high that they feel like it's a no brainer for them to download the asset because it feels like it's one of a number of books on Amazon, for example. So it's about emotion. It's about how you present that information. Does it look good? Does it look high value? Does it look generic and full of stock images like everything else? And, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to try and uh, rein it in a little bit. But those, I feel extremely passionate about this because it's so often missed. And a lot of the debates that go on in this space are as a result of people not getting those early steps. Well said. I think the rant was well worth it. And I think the only things I would just add there to close that out is just when you're making content in B2B, they want to feel like this is something they would go buy off Amazon. Like, number one, make it through the mindset like this is something people would pay for. You give away for free. And then number two... Just reframe and think, okay, B2B is business to business. People are going out to this for their jobs. The number one thing you need to think about is how do I make this content help somebody get better at their job? That's all B2B content marketing is. Yes, you can be entertaining. Yes, you could be, you know, this like fun, quirky brand. But at the end of the day, like content resonates with people that helps them do better at their job and helps them do things that not a lot of other people are talking about. And again, it goes back to that understanding like what their day-to-day is so that you can actually add value to them. Exactly. And also to go beyond the bait and switch. There's a lot of content, particularly on LinkedIn, which is no nothing more than simple bait and switch. But to actually satisfy that need as well, that's the kind of content that you want to have. So one of the things I remember from my days at Refract was that 
I remember the CS team would come to me and go, "Where do we where do we go on the on the on the shared drive to get the the assets? Because we've got clients asking us for copies." That for me, if you want to, if you want a metric right there, is how many of your existing customers actively seek out the assets that you're producing for your prospects. Because if you can do that, if you can create something that has such a high perceived value amongst people who've already bought your product, you know you've done the right thing. And I want to just double click on one thing that you mentioned about Amazon. The assets that you produce should look perfectly in the right place up against business books on Amazon. They should look the same. They should they should feel the same. They should be of the same high value. And just one other thing I'd add moving forwards as well for Sales Oracle and for anybody listening is video. Like video for me is going to be the next logical progression of this is creating that high value content in video form because the likes of ChatGPT, the likes of AI, it's going to make producing and does make producing content so easy. How can you stand out in that marketplace? How can you stand out and create something that's still high value, but that your competitors would struggle to to produce? Good quality, professional video is exactly the way forward there. So I think gated content, and we talked about it on LinkedIn, is great. But I would also be having Sales Oracle start to think about how they can produce the very highest value and high production value video content for LinkedIn as well. Yeah, and going just back to tying this back to like Sales Oracle, one of the things there too that they would need to consider on that content, because I, I think this is important to like double click or triple click on this, I guess. The video content has to be made from a subject matter expert. Say if you're coming in as the first marketing hire, like you are not an expert in sales. But what you can do, and I think there's some smart companies doing this right now that Sales Oracle could look to, how do I work with, you know, an independent content creator or somebody that like creates sales content or is it you know is already creating content? And how can I like contract some of that work out? Or chances are internally, whether it's the one of the founders, your your VP of sales, somebody internally is a subject matter expert that could create high value content you could run with. Excellent. So just with one eye on the time, Blake, I want to think about as well, what are we missing here? What are we not talking about that Sales Oracle should focus on? Any other areas? I know there are going to be lots, but where would your mind go to in this in this case? Where else could these guys be looking for, for opportunities in their journey? I guess let's recap what we've talked about, right? We talked about, okay, you need to map out your market, understand your personas. Okay, then you need to figure out where those personas are. And so we said, okay, our channel's LinkedIn. We're going to go all in. Talked about paid and organic. We said, okay, let's shelf organic. Let's talk about paid. I think the other things I would think about are two things. The first would be measurement. So it does doesn't have to be complicated, but you do have to be able to measure. Like, okay, if we did spent this on paid, how are we going to measure it? And you might have different objectives for different tactics. If we're like a more brand focused one, the tactic might be how do we just get people to see our ads or consume our videos? But then for that, like you talked about, like a downloadable piece of content. Or like a you know a lead gen you know request a demo campaign, it might be seeing like what's our cost per download or our cost per lead gen form fill. So I think it's just like understanding your reporting and your metrics is key. The second thing I would think about here with regards to like what they need to think about is what can they also do outside of paid from an inbound perspective. Something I've been thinking about more is like what are some like zero dollar activities that we can do that are going to help us generate short-term pipeline. So I'll just go through a couple and then like see you know if you have any other thoughts there. One of them would be you have happy customers already. Are you making sure that like when they're having moments where they're like, "Hey, this is great. We're early adopters. We really believe in this." Are you asking them if they know anybody else in their network that this that could benefit from this? So those warm intros with existing customers is one. Sales is a very fluid profession. If you're an early stage startup, you probably don't have this happening a lot because you've only been around for you know a couple years or months. But like, if you have a champion leave their job and go to another job, 
how can you help them build the business case for your tool at their new job? That might not help in a six-month time horizon, but it could. It could be like one deal that's, hey, 10K, let's put it in the bank. That would be another thing I think about. And then the third thing there, which again, kind of like goes into that first point, anytime somebody like renews or they add on team members, if you're not actively asking them for like the referral, they're doing so. So really like it's customer expansion is like a big piece of it. And just like utilizing your existing customer base while you get this inbound engine off the ground. That's what I would think about very tactically. Yeah, similar. So I would also probably add partnerships in there as well. It's sort of a zero dollar, but that's sometimes not necessarily zero dollar. But yeah, I would look at partnerships as well. I'd look for anybody in your space that is speaking to the audience that you want to speak to and how you can collectively, collaboratively create value between the two of you. You know, we did that at Refract. I've done that other other places as well, where you work together to produce assets. We partnered with HubSpot on a, on a gated piece of content, which which was really, really good and worked extremely well, but gave us massive exposure to a certain subset of HubSpot's audience. So those things aren't necessarily easy. They do take time and they're not necessarily $0 per se, but I'd say look, look for collaborations, look for opportunities to develop partnerships with people, but come at it from the perspective of your content should speak your sort of ethos, if you like. Your content should be what you're going to those conversations with. Look what we produce. Look at the material that we produce. We'd love to produce something alongside you that has high value, that is not generic. And I think you'd be onto a, onto a good starting place there if you, do, uh, if you develop those partnerships with people that share that ethos. That's not talked about enough is the partnerships because a B2B, especially in tech, is an ecosystem and you have to be tuned into that ecosystem. Perfect. So Blake, thank you. We've covered lots of ground. We've been very focused, but I think the, the value that we've brought is hopefully uh, is going to help people listening to this. I think we should probably do a follow-up episode where we, uh, in six months' time, we see how Sales Oracle are doing and then try and unpack some of the uh, some of the challenges that they face on the way to doubling their revenue in six months. I really appreciate your time, Blake. Anything else that you, you want to add on what we've discussed so far? I would just like to know what my equity percentage is on the cap table for an unofficial advisor for Sales Oracle. That, 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 that's my lasting question, but we can cover that offline, Matt. We'll take that offline for sure. Brilliant. Another, another AI startup to enter the space and, and two eager marketing advisors, happy to help them along their journey. So thank you, Blake. Really appreciate your time as always. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it as well, Matt. Uh, people could find me on LinkedIn, Blake Strozik. There's like two of us. I'm the one with the yellow background. You could find me and I, I run a consultancy called Bull Media, post about you know demand gen marketing content. Feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks for your time. And I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Blake. Thanks, Matt.